One thing that MBUA, I think, has always had as an advantage is because we were founded in 1998, there were websites and there were listservs and we didn't have any money and we didn't have many members. So guess what was the best way to reach our membership? Through a website and through listservs and then eventually through webinars. And so I describe MBUA as a, a digital native, as an association. We didn't start with a big face-to-face meeting. We didn't start with a lot of in-person workshops. We started digitally. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Jeff Shields, President and CEO of the National Business Officers Association, or NBOA. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joanna. It's great to be here. So, Jeff, tell us about NBOA. I'm happy to. National Business Officers Association. We generally use the acronym MBOA. We represent CFOs, HR professionals, controllers, other folks that perform business, finance, or operational roles at independent schools across the country. These are pre-K through 12 schools. And what makes them independent is that they have an independent governance structure, which means a board of trustees. And they also have an independent funding source, which is mostly tuition. And they're 501c3s, just like MBOA. So we have a a lot in common, a lot that's different, but we represent over 1,400 schools in the United States and even more internationally. And people don't think about independent schools or pre-K through 12 types of educational institutions as businesses, but just like associations, my members are CFOs and their staff at a small business. They just happen to be focused on a mission and they're focused on delivering education to their students and their students' families every single day. And Jeff, just like any other business, they have to balance their budgets and they have to increase revenue and they have to make sure that they're providing the best services for the dollar. Amazing. And when we think of schools, we often think of the teachers, but these are the professionals who are really allowing the teachers to do their jobs. Yes. And I would say our members hold teachers and we all hold teachers in such high regard. And so they, as I often say, are the ones that deliver our school's mission in the classroom and the connection between teacher and student. That's where our mission gets delivered within our schools. But yeah, they're behind the scenes people. They do make sure that teachers are competitively paid, that they receive really high quality benefits, that they're free to teach the way they decide they want to teach, 
So the quality of the learning community, I would say our members play a really key role in helping to create, obviously, in alignment with the head of school and the board of trustees. But there's no way, I believe, our schools could deliver world-class education if it were not for the world-class business operations that our members help create and deliver. We talk a lot about partnerships and associations. I mean, it's really a partnership in our members' schools as well. And when it works, it's just as exciting as when it works within our associations. Jeff, schools were at the center of the universe during the pandemic because we were all so worried about what's going to happen to our students, what's happening to the teachers, what's happening to schools. What are your members thinking about today as we've come out of the pandemic? What's keeping them up at night? Well, that's interesting. I appreciate you saying that because our members, if you think about CFOs having to make purchases, managing risk, setting up testing centers, like I said, acquiring materials, working with facilities to reorganize classrooms, human resources professionals, and the myriad of issues they had in managing faculty, ensuring their safety. Ensure, you know, Obviously, everyone, first and foremost, was committed to student safety and making sure our schools would be safe. So I really appreciate you saying that because it's not every time a, a national crisis like that hits schools so squarely and first. Yeah that they were really the first wave. And I'm so proud of our community and how they responded to that. I'll tell you, to be honest with you, Joanna, today, a lot of the effects are still lingering. Yeah, I think we have a little bit of a hangover. I think they feel emboldened when things feel normal, whatever normal is. And I, I don't want to kind of go down that rabbit hole, whatever normal is. But they also realize that their school has been changed forever. Yes. And so I think they're kind of in that space. I think we're still in a little bit of a hangover. I think we're moving out of it. I'll tell you, I mean, in my members, like I said, they're business finance operations professionals. We talk a lot about health and wellness. They are very concerned with the health and wellness of their faculty. And in turn, their schools are very concerned about the health and wellness of our students. So I would say that's top of mind. Faculty recruitment and retention. I think you know, just kind of being in the zeitgeist of media, that you know the teaching profession is under tremendous pressure from all sides. It's getting harder and harder to recruit and retain teachers in general, right. keeping teachers in the workforce, keeping teachers teaching, let alone with the pressures that were put upon them during the pandemic, and then the additional pressures of what's going on in banning books, et cetera, et cetera, and school board meetings and all of that, all of that kind of in the atmosphere. It's a noble profession. It's a profession that I think is not paid, equitable to the value and the tremendous contribution it makes. And so to really run roughshod over these individuals who are really giving their heart and souls to this amazing profession is really troubling and it's concerning. So I'd say there's a lot of concern there. So wellness, definitely the recruitment and retention, DE&I, yeah. top of mind for our schools. And then I'd finish with access and affordability, yes, which is true before the pandemic, was true during the pandemic, will be true forever. That independent schools, there's a lot of misconceptions about them and they compete with free every day, which is not an easy place to be, but they do provide amazing learning communities. They transform students' lives 
and they do a lot to advance DEI and create opportunities for a myriad of diverse and socioeconomically diverse students and families. And so just really proud of that work. But of access and affordability with everything in an inflationary environment, you can see how that would be top of mind for our members in particular. Absolutely. So before we get into the things that NBOA is doing to support your amazing members, let's talk about your journey. How did you get to become president and CEO of NBOA? Well, you know, and I'm sure you talk to every association CEO and they probably have a completely different story because we don't grow up saying I'm going to be an association CEO. Very few do. I know, I know some yes. second generation folks that probably had the leg up. So my background is I'll start with education. I got my master's degree in higher ed administration after a dean of students at my undergrad said, you know, Jeff, you can work at colleges and universities the rest of your life if you'd like to. So I was student government president, and I really relied on this individual and, and really trusted him. And he directed me to Ohio State, which was changed my life. Ah. Ohio State changed my life. My graduate program changed my life. Columbus, Ohio changed my life. And I absolutely wouldn't be where I am today without that experience, those two years. And so I worked in the college and university setting, did that for a number of years, got a little burnt out on that in particular, working in student life and residential life. It's really a young person's job and was looking for other things was reminded that there was an acquaintance of mine that made that transition and made it from student affairs in colleges and universities to nonprofit associations. I talked to him, and to make a long story short, he asked me this really great question. What kind of job are you interested in? I told him one that I saw that I was interested in doing. He said, my friend is hiring for that position. And two weeks later, I got the job at the National Association of Home Builders, and I've been working for associations ever since. You were at NAHB, and what did you yes. do at NAHB? Oh, my gosh. I had the best job in the world. I was the assistant director of leadership training. So I worked with some amazing people. And what we did, and think about this, given my background working with students on campuses and now what I do today, but we would put on leadership training conferences for volunteers at the various state and local home builder associations across the country. They're everywhere. Yes. The North Virginia Builder Industry Association, the Building Industry Association of Northern California, they're everywhere. And so their volunteers were home builders or various suppliers to the industry. And we came in and we taught them about good governance, running effective meetings, how to do a membership recruitment campaign. We were really teaching them association skills. Wow. So my first job at one of the biggest associations in the city, yes, where I learned about everything a big association could do. And then I went around the country and got to talk about what I do. And you know, they say the best way to master what you want to be is to teach about it. And that's what I got to do. So Home Builders was great. There's a lot of Home Builders alums out there. But Nakubo, which was my next job, which was the National Association of College University Business Officers, that was really transformative because I connected with two CEOs, very different CEOs during my tenure there. And my direct supervisor, who was a senior vice president, and they all just taught me everything I needed to know about being an association executive. So I learned it all from Jay, John, and Carla. I'm just going to give their first names and say they were the ones that taught me everything I needed to know. And they, do you know what they did, Joanna? As a director level staff in a midsize association, they invited me into the boardroom almost immediately. Oh, wow. Privilege. Privileged. They knew that you wanted to be groomed and that you could be. I was lucky enough to do that. And I think 
getting in there in that role that early, working directly with a board of directors, absolutely helped me prepare for the job I have today. That's really very insightful of them because often you hear about organizations where it's really the top, top staff who are in those board meetings. But the fact that you got exposure to that must have been just incredible. And can you imagine? I mean, so the board was comprised of CFOs from colleges and universities all across the country. So you can imagine who was sitting around that table. I mean, it was intimidating. Right. And, you know, you fake it till you make it kind of thing. And so I just drew on everything I knew and just tried to be my authentic self. But that married with opportunity, I think, is what helps propel a career. And so they certainly gave me plenty of opportunities. And I'll always be grateful to those three individuals for that. So at some point you said, I'm ready to take the top job. Yes. How could I resist, right? I had been at Nakubo, which was the College University Business Officers, for I think around 10 years. And then this position opened up, the founder of MBOA, because we're only 25 years old, Ah. the founder after 12 years decided it was time for her to move on to other opportunities. And she kind of retired, went into a consulting practice, that kind of thing. And too many people were in my ear saying, Jeff, you should really take a look at this group. So I was ready. That opportunity was in front of me and I decided to go for it. And I was really lucky because I was competing against other independent school business officers because that's what they knew. Ah, That's what they knew. And that's what my predecessor was. So they kept saying, well, we really want an independent school business officer, Jeff, but we'll keep you in the process. You know, And I said, okay, I'll play along as long as you play along. And the best advice I got from that search consultant was just keep doing what you're doing. Keep being true to yourself be the best association executive you know how to be throughout this process and let that sort itself out. That was probably what made me different and unique and what made the board willing to take a chance on a first-time CEO who never worked at an independent school or attended an independent school his entire life. But NBOA isn't an independent school. You're an association. So the fact that you worked for a business officer association previously you were probably one of the few people uniquely qualified for this job. Yes, I think they saw that as well. But we know, and Joanna, I'm sure you know enough boards that really want that CEO to be someone that clearly, as they present you to the membership, clearly understands the work and the lives and the pain points and the successes of its members. And I'll tell you, there were skeptics. There were skeptics when I started at MBOA. I'll tell you two reasons why. One, I wasn't an independent school business officer. And two, they were worried I was going to try and turn MBOA into Nakubo. Ah. And that would have been ridiculous because MBOA is MBOA and it's wonderful and it's unique. And the members are smart and good people and do very different jobs at pre-K through 12 schools than similar business officers at colleges, universities. There's a lot of intersection. There's a lot. It's the same, but their cultures are so different. I mean, think about it. They're working with kindergartners, maybe some preschoolers to high school seniors. Right. That's just a different journey that you're experiencing within your learning community. And so I picked that up right away. I had no interest in making it Nakubo Jr. or Little Nakubo. I wanted MBOA to be the best MBOA it could be and be worthy of the amazing members that I met very early on and understood were really special, smart people. Well, let's talk about MBOA. So you're thriving. I have a chance (laughs) to work with your team. How's membership? 
membership. We're working our way back. We took a hit like many associations during the pandemic. And I understand that we talked earlier about schools were really put back on their heels and they were spending money on things that they didn't have budgeted and they didn't know what the future looked like. And so they were really conservative. And rightfully so. You can really understand it. 100%. Their first job was to get their school reopened or get an online program set up and teach and educate students. That's their mission. Their mission isn't to pay association dues. And so we did. We saw probably the most significant attrition I've seen in my 13 years in this role. And so we're working our way back. We're working our way back. And I'm happy to say we're continuing to make progress. We delivered a great annual meeting last year that felt like one of our annual meetings and and hit numbers that felt more like annual meetings pre-pandemic. And our membership is coming back too. And so I'm really grateful. And we're going to keep doing what we're doing, demonstrating our value and delivering for our member schools and keep working on that. Jeff, it's your 25th anniversary. It's a silver anniversary. How does NBOA chart the next 25 years? How do you do things differently while remaining true to the mission? I think you have to understand, first and foremost, that 1998, think about 1998 versus 2023. Yeah. You know, we didn't have social media. We hadn't been through a great recession. We hadn't had a global pandemic. We hadn't had the highest inflation rate that we've had in 40 years. I mean, think about 1998 and how different it is today. So I think you just have to pay attention to the environment. But one thing that MBA, I think, has always had as an advantage is because we were founded in 1998, there were websites and there were listservs and we didn't have any money. And we didn't have many members. So guess what was the best way to reach our membership? Through a website and through listservs and then eventually through webinars. And so I describe MBOA as a a digital native, as an association. We didn't start with a big face-to-face meeting. We didn't start with a lot of in-person workshops. We started digitally. So now fast forward. We have a great website that we pay a lot of attention to because Obviously, for any association, your website is the most front-facing communications platform that an association has. And for us, it delivers a tremendous amount of the value that we provide through our membership. So it's very important. But we have a robust online courses. We have robust e-publications, e-newsletters. So I think we're going to be investing in a digital-first strategy, first and foremost, over the next several years and really kind of leverage what we've already done pretty well, but really connect the dots, I think, even better than we may have done that in the past. And I think every association that wants to thrive from 2023 going forward is likely to do the same. And I guess the second thing is we really have to think about how we can complement our dues revenue with non-dues revenue streams. Ah. We can't keep putting pressure on our dues and keep increasing our dues and really which demands that you deliver increased value, et cetera, et cetera. You have to strike the right balance. And so I think associations are really going to focus more on monetizing other things that are aligned and true to their mission, but move away from being so reliant on dues. Hey, speaking of digital strategy, you're making some changes to 
how you run the association in terms of your staffing and your physical space. Tell us about that. My predecessor had put in place a distributed model. So they were based in Boulder, Colorado. They were only around eight, nine staff back then, but had several other staff members across the country. So I inherited what I call the distributed model. We had some headquarters staff. We had some staff that work from home. That was back 13 years ago. So we were a little bit ahead of our time there as well. Wow. But given the realities of the pandemic, we are going to become entirely virtual in March of 2024. We will continue to have a very, very small footprint in Washington, D.C., which is where I live, but be what I consider to be completely virtual. And I think we're well positioned to do that because we've always been, like I said, somewhat distributed. We were about 50-50, but now we're going to go all in. It's actually harder, Joanne, if you want to know. It's harder to live in both worlds than it is to pick one. I agree with you. Because fairness and equity, right? Fairness and equity, when you have half your workforce working from a traditional office Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30, 9 to 5, whatever it is, and then another 50%, because now we're about 19 FTE, another 50% working from home. Any policy decision you make, running it through those two different lenses, it's really challenging. So I think it'll be nice to fully live in a virtual world from that perspective. But yeah, we're excited. Obviously, we're going to be saving a lot of money to the bottom line, but we already invest tremendous amount in staff culture. We meet every summer as staff offsite. We meet every December to do more staff planning, performance management, investment in infrastructure. We've always been keen to invest in technology to support the entire enterprise. So we've got work to do, but I'm excited about that future. So you talked about how you just redesigned your website and my team had the pleasure of working with your team. Yes. Often, Jeff, these website redesigns are a proxy for a conversation about who the organization is becoming. So what did that do for NBOA? Well, we made a commitment several years ago that we were going to really explore beyond our primary member, the business officer, and acknowledge that there are a lot of individuals that have traditional business finance or operational roles that we could serve that are important to the business of the school. And so that's when we began our Big Ten expansion to really the HR professional and the controller and accounting staff and other staff in the business office really wanted to serve them. What also has happened along the way is that heads of school and advancement professionals and admissions professionals, all of them touch the business of independent schools. Yes. And so I think what our exploration of the website, remodeling and redesigning our website was, is that we are not just serving our primary member or the individuals that report to our primary member, but we're serving a larger purpose. We need to understand and be accessible to all the entities within a school that influence the business of the school. And for us, that means trustees, heads of schools, admissions, and advancement as well. So I think the exploration of our new website redesign really had us view a redesign through that much broader lens. We don't envision a time where heads of schools come to our annual meeting in huge numbers, but we do want them to read our magazine. We do want them to be able to access resources on our website. We do want them to pay attention to a, a conversation in one of our online communities that could be something their school is dealing with. And we want to be open to them because we think if they're 
more dialed into the business of independent schools, they'll be better partners to our primary member. They'll be better partners to our business officer and to the other folks that we serve most directly. Jeff, this is brilliant because the name of the organization is the National Business Officers Association, but you're a trade association. It's the schools that are members. So you're saying anybody at the schools that really has anything to do with the business of the school should and can take advantage of the resources of the association. So it's really expanding who you're serving within the membership. 100%. And we encourage that. We encourage our primary member, the business officer, we encourage them to think broadly about who within the school could benefit from accessing MBOA resources. And we really encourage them to think broadly about that. We still do a print magazine six times a year. I'm going to hang on to that as long as I can. It's one of the last tangible benefits that associations still deliver. And thank goodness for a robust business partner community that still advertises in it that we're able to do that. But access our online communities, access our wealth of resources, access our research our original research that we are doing on the industry from a business and finance and operational perspective so that you make better decisions for your school or you're more informed when you're engaged in those conversations with your CFO or your trustees. What kind of research are you doing? Oh my gosh. We just recently published our financial state of the industry, which is the only research of its kind for independent schools that takes all of its data from a school's audited financials and then applies 17 different ratios for schools to not just benchmark, but really understand their performance in some key areas, whether it's fundraising, financial aid allocations, investment in physical plant, et cetera, et cetera. Ah. So it really helps the school understand themselves, I think, more deeply. Our platform, we have a, a fully customized data collection and data reporting platform called Biz, Business Intelligence for Independent Schools. That has a number of reporting tools on it that also can help any leader, any business leader at a school understand their own school's data, but in the context of comparing it to others. And then we also have just released uh, one of a kind. We have a partnership with the Common Fund Institute, which does an independent school study of our endowments. Now, you know, there's a lot of conversation about endowments. Oh, and there's some bad news about endowments on your homepage. Yes, there's some really bad news about endowments this year. This year. And there was crazy good news about endowments last year. Yes. And so, you know, it's a roller coaster, right? It's why we get up every morning and do what we do. And it's what keeps us fresh. But yes, we just released those findings from last year and it was a it was a really tough year. And so the idea is to understand it, learn from it, and now make decisions that are in the best interest of your school to move forward, right? We can't deny that that's where we are, but hopefully our research helps schools have a deeper understanding of the financial environment of our economy, which the endowment study certainly helps illustrate, but also the independent school community. It makes you feel a little bit less isolated. Right. You really can understand, okay, I just wrote a blog about perspective. And I think it gives you a perspective. And I think sometimes we lose that because we're so deep into our own organization and our own to-dos, our own successes and our own issues. But the research helps provide a perspective that I think is particularly valuable when things are so uncertain, right? Inflation, the markets, things that are significant to our schools. 
Jeff, you mentioned the magazine, and the magazine just won a Trendy Award from Association Trends. Yes. And Melissa Zinder, who's on your staff, just won Young and Aspiring Professional from Association Trends. So congratulations. This feels like a big deal. Well, it's really nice of you to bring that up. You know, the credit goes to the amazing staff at MBOA, and I'm really glad. You know, I say that CEOs get more than their fair share of credit, and they get more than their fair share of the blame. But this was a great opportunity for standout individuals, and there are many on the MBOA staff, I'm proud to say, that really have turned out standout performance. And I'm incredibly proud of our magazine. It's high quality. It's relevant. It's interesting. And I'm so glad that that's been recognized. And Melissa in particular, it was no secret to us that she's a young and aspiring, outstanding professional. She's worked at MBOA nearly 10 years. It's her second job after her postgraduate degree. She's a really impressive individual. I'm just so glad that she was recognized, but also glad that MBOA, I hope, is an important chapter in her association and professional journey because she certainly made significant contributions to the association during her tenure. Well, I'll tell you, my team raves about your team. Ah, that's nice. And talks about how thoughtful and responsive they are. Well, that's great. You know, we have a universal commitment to quality and member service. I think that's kind of our binding agent. We have pretty high standards when it comes to quality and we're very, very committed to serving our members and making their jobs easier, their days better, maybe sleep better at night. And so we're very committed to that. And so I think you see that in the awards, right? Our magazine and the types of individuals that work at MBA for long tenures. Jeff, you say that your relationship with the board really powers the organizations. What do you mean by that? Well, when I was sharing with you the opportunity I had at Nakubo early on, and the mentors that I met there, the CEO I was working for as I departed to go to MBOA said probably the most important words to me, the best advice I've gotten as a CEO. He said, remember, Jeff, it's all about relationships. Mm. And he was a former board chair at Indiana University. He was board chair of the Association of Governing Boards. So he was in some pretty significant board roles in his career. And that really helped me. And so I put a tremendous amount of time and energy into developing a relationship with our board of directors. I put a tremendous amount of time and energy in the relationship, particularly with the board chair. Mm. And I think what I explained to the staff is I know it's hard to see and understand why we make those investments, but every time I need to ask them for something when times are tight, like this past year, when I said we need to put a little bit more in the budget for compensation adjustments because times are really hard and our staff is amazing and has worked really hard in responding to our schools, particularly during the pandemic, we need to do more for them. The yes is so easy to get. right? And that's the dividend. That's the dividend that gets paid to all of us because we, I, make that investment or make the relationship important. And I don't know how I could approach my job any differently. And not just from that aspect, but from the aspect of, I don't dread board meetings. I look forward to board meetings. They give me energy. They give me that boost to tackle what we're going to tackle over the next several months or go after that daunting task that's embedded in our strategic framework. 
So I get energy from it, but I think it's because we have a really clear understanding of our roles and responsibilities, a clear understanding of of a partnership, tremendous mutual respect, and I think tremendous trust. And I think you can't just show up three times a year and expect to get that. You have to show up all the time and have that in that working relationship. So I think it's really something I invest a lot of time in. And like I said, because I got great advice and I followed the advice. So I'm not inventing this. I'm not probably saying anything that any successful CEO or long tenured CEO hasn't learned. You know, what I've heard on this podcast and certainly in my relationships with my clients is when the senior staff, especially the CEO, has a good relationship with the board, especially the board chair, the organization thrives because they're working together, each with their own roles but working towards the same goal. 100%. We have a leadership team and they are in the boardroom. They are supporting board committees. They are building relationships with the board. And that's so important and valuable to me and to the organization. I just can't underestimate that. And when they are successful and when the board has great relationships with them, all ships rise. All ships rise. Absolutely. And like I said, it's hard to tell the coordinator on your staff or the manager, why are we going to that location? Why are you spending two days? And it looks like you're going to these receptions and having these dinners and things like that. And the board book takes a month to put together. Yeah, and the time and energy <laughs> it takes to put board materials together and to do things like that. But I see the dividends and I try and highlight them in productive ways to say, look, this is something that's going to require board support. And because we've invested the time, I bet you we're going to get it. So let's present it that way nice. and let's see what they say. So I'm really incredibly fortunate. And remember my board all works with boards because my members work at 501c3s and they're CFOs. So they're in the boardroom. So they know what good governance is and they know what bad governance is. So I think they appreciate it. Jeff, you are within striking distance of reaching your pre-pandemic membership levels. You said that you had an amazing last couple of months. We did. So good luck. I hope that in the next year you hit that target. And I hope you'll come back and tell us the story. Me too. And we're doing some really great things. I would be happy to come back and tell you that story because Melissa, in particular, and some other outstanding members on her team are really reinventing how we recruit reinventing a retention program, reinventing all of our processes in that area and engagement. And it's really exciting for a 25-year-old association to kind of reinvent itself in that way. So I'd be happy to come back and tell you that story. Oh my God. Let's definitely do a part two and hear about this reinvention. Yes. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye. Bye.